Robots are great, robots are chill. Teach them to love, teach them to kill. What if we taught them to think for themselves? Let's watch a movie and find out. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the whole movie podcast, Botcast Edition. Botcast. <laughs> Why, 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 why? Desert Storm. Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> botcast, botcast, botcast. Botcast, botcast, It's I, Jordan Cruciola, along with Margo Carlson. Hello, Margo Carlson. Welcome back to the Botcast. Thank you. Welcome, Jordan. Um, We have stumbled our way into another 2004 selection. Yep. First, the Stepford Wives remake. Yep. Now, iRobot. And... I did not think at all ahead of time about the echoes that would take place between aughts era robot movies. Right. But there are some. What's going on in the blockbuster imagination? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And are Jordan and Margot going to agree with it? That, you know what? I hadn't thought about whether or not we would, but I'm curious to find out now. Because we, we obviously had a pre-talk. About this. We had a post-show pre-talk about this. No, the listeners don't know that we communicate when we're not on air. Yeah, guys, we're not even friends. <laughs> We've never met. We're not, e- we're not even friends. I just I just like to compliment this stranger a lot when we're on microphones. as mm-hmm. um, as, Just as a test. Just to make her uncomfortable and see what happens. <laughs> and it works. Yeah, it's a bit of, it's a, bit of an anthropological study. Um, but of course, to start, uh, we have a bit of business to take yes. care of. About the previous episode. Folks, it's another round of Margot's Corrections Corner. Yeah, the lightest of corrections. So yeah. do rest assured. What are we correcting the record for at the outset, Margot? So once again, I've sta- I've stated the name of a text incorrectly. Which, considering you're rattling these things off, I think the top of your head, I'm still pretty impressed by how close you get them. I appreciate that. I don't do research, and so I'm... <laughs> What okay, happened? that's that's a bit that's like that's a truth that's a and a lie. That's like a truth and a lie. I don't like, do what I, I do research afterwards to find out how wrong I was, well, and then I come in the next episode. She's also burying the fact that like she studied this formally in school, so like this, I think that's obvious at this point. But like, so like the research has been like you have done the research, yeah, but not in the this isn't just this isn't this the best handful of years. This isn't like. I am totally making shit up and like tossing about buzzwords that I heard somebody else say that I didn't cross reference at all. I'm not saying praxis. <laughs> You're not just out here like a gay on the internet saying praxis. I don't know what it is. You I never can't stop. You, learn. Said you heard this word a year ago. You didn't stop. I can't learn. <laughs> I'll never know what it means. <laughs> I cannot learn. Um, but so, okay, what is the, what is our mild corrections corner piece of business to start out with? So the essay by Sandy Stone is called The Empire Strikes Back, A Post-Transsexual Manifesto. Mm-hmm. And I said it wrong, and that's the correct name. That is the correct name. That's part one. That's part one. And part two is not, part two is not a correction. Part two is a... We just, we cannot leave, this cannot be old business. Elaboration corner. Yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this is the appendices, this is the elaboration, this is, you know. Um, we cannot simply leave to the previous episode a concept that Margot introduced to me that as far as I was concerned at the moment, she invented. No. Um, the, I, the notion of born sexy yesterday. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I I rattled this term off to describe our friend Samantha, mm-hmm. which it does it does sound like a collection of words that you just uh would come up with on your feet in in, well, in sort of you. your wit and your in your quickness. Thank you very much. So it sounded very in character. So I didn't question that it had another source. My issue is I'm extremely obsessed with the 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 cultural critic that invented this term this phrase his mm-hmm. name is jonathan mcintosh and he McIntosh. runs the youtube channel pop culture detective mm-hmm. Un- I, I was previously unfamiliar with this person this is a channel that i like margo a researcher and a student <laughs> thank you very much i have this is the jstor of youtube <laughs> <laughs> like he he i have watched and rewatched his video essays so many times that i've it's that thing where you yeah. consume something so much that you assume the whole world has consumed it yeah so I like rattled off. I was like, Samantha is born sexy yesterday yeah. with the assumption that you, Jordan, and mm-hmm. everyone listening is like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop culture detective's seminal work, born <laughs> yeah. sexy yesterday. Um, Everybody <laughs> loves homework as much as I do and knows born sexy yesterday. Born Sexy Yesterday is the title of mm-hmm. a YouTube video by Jonathan McIntosh as pop culture detective Mm -hmm. in which he articulates for the first time a phenomenon in cinema and Mm -hmm. visual media in general in which a character Mm -hmm. is a specific type of manic pixie dream girl who in a sci-fi context uh is was created recently Mm -hmm. as an adult woman with the mind of a child but the sexuality of an adult (laughs) it is so harrowing when the the instance of you saying it when we were discussing um her the collection of words together it it just it feels like it shouldn't feel so clever as it is because it's just three words slammed together yeah, that are com- that are completely like yeah the definition is the word yeah it <laughs> like makes sense. born sexy yesterday and in the in the video talking about it he gets into like the notion of the born yesterday like you know bimbo girl character and then you add into that which is something we so often see in 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 any genre but it it pops up a lot in like fantasy and sci-fi the notion of the born sexy yesterday the uh lead in example in the video is very keenly uh cora from tron legacy and uh lilu lilu dallas multipass yes from the fifth element and as he's rattling off these names, it's like, yes, that is true. Yes, that is true. These characters are invented. They are born. They are sexy. And they are eight hours old. Yes. And it's, uh, I mean, he describes it. Really, you need to watch the video, everyone, because it's the, it, he describes it so well. He articulates this phenomenon very beautifully. But there's there's the the quality that happens in almost all these stories. The moment where the, the character, because she's so naive and doesn't realize um, the fact of herself as a beautiful sexual woman. Yes. She, like, becomes... Daryl Hannah in Splash. Daryl Hannah in Splash. Splash. She uh, she takes off her clothes in, like, an, the innocence of a child, like Eve in the garden would. Um, <laughs> yes. Allowing both the camera, the audience, and the human male protagonist to... Uh, to ogle her yes. and desire her while she has no idea that she's a sexual object. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often that the, the male protagonist character will teach her about kissing for the first time. Right, yeah. And teach her about the ways of sexuality. And he goes on, Jonathan McIntosh goes on to explain how, like, what makes the male protagonist so special and exceptional 
and the hero of the movie this is truly essential is that he is he is the only person she's ever met the only (laughs) he is the best man he is the most interesting man he is the smartest man because he is the only man there's no competition yes there's no comparison no one's dick is bigger than his no one is smarter than him and no one is funnier than him he is the one man in this being's life yes The subtext of the trope is rooted in a deep-seated male insecurity around sex and sexuality. The crux of the trope is a fixation on male superiority, a fixation with holding power over an innocent girl. But in order to make that socially acceptable, science fiction is employed to put the mind of that girl into a sexualized adult woman's body. It's a fantasy based on fear. Fear of women who are men's equal in sexual experience and romantic history, and fear of losing the intellectual upper hand to women. Yes, it is the ultimate fantasy yeah. of control, possession, and purity. I can be your teacher, I can be your father, your father, your I lover. can fuck you. Yes. All of those yes. things. And Samantha in her begins that way. Yes. Twombly. Twombly. Ted Twombly. Theodore Twombly is that character, that protagonist, who truly has almost nothing going for him. (laughs) Except that he, like, knows things and can tell Samantha about them. Yeah. Um, But she... That other women his age already know. Because they're adult women. Yes. Um, But she breaks the mold. Mm -hmm. She learns more about herself. She gains autonomy. (laughs) She learns more about the universe. And she breaks up with him. (laughs) Yeah. And honestly, yep. the more I sit with her, I know we, <laughs> we already talked about her for two fucking hours, but the more I sit with her, the more I'm like, no one's doing it like her. No one's doing it like her. And the, I think it is, we did have to, we did have to excavate this again from the previous yeah. episodes. We could get more into it. But also, Born, CX, Born Sexy Yesterday does factor into iRobot. Yes, it does. We have... It's interesting. We have a we have a born sexy yesterday character that is a doctor as as we say on the disaster podcast, a doctor lady scientist. <laughs> and um she is one of our key players in the iRobot saga. iRobot of course being the story of uh, a genius man played by James Cromwell, a scientist who changed the world with his robotic innovations. The movie basically opens on him, quote unquote, having committed suicide and Mm -hmm. him in a video hologram message summoning a detective who he knows from a previous experience in the form of Will Smith. And he knows that that detective hates fucking robots. Mm -hmm. That that detective is going to approach this case skeptically. He's not going to take it for granted that this was a suicide. And so as Detective Spooner, Del Spooner, uh, Will Smith gets on the case... Dell, he uh, realizes there's a robot involved in this case, who he immediately hates because it's a robot. But doesn't the second law state that a robot has to obey any order given by a human being? What if it was given an order to kill? And it's Sonny, voiced by Alan Tudyk. And together, this pair, uh, Spooner and Dr. Lady Scientist, have to sort out whether or not this was a suicide. Surprise, it wasn't. And if it wasn't a suicide, how did the incredible innovative doctor die and what does his death have to do with a robot with an ai uprising Mm -hmm. that is about to take place right right what did i miss 
No, that was perfect. Okay. I was going to say, just pepper in. I mean, we'll get into it. The de- We'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the log line of this podcast. Podcast. We'll, we'll get, get into, into it. it. Uh, Dr. Calvin, mm-hmm. the sexy Miss Dr. Lady Scientist. Yeah. Um, she's not really technically born sexy yesterday. Right, yeah. She is a fully mature adult human woman who is a human and yeah. was not born yesterday. And is a, is a robo-psychologist. But she is, like, she is more robotic than some of the robot characters in the movie because mm-hmm. she seems to be naive in a way that that she does not she shouldn't be and wouldn't be in real life. For for those of you out there who have seen Demolition Man, there are echoes in Dr. What now? Calvin. Dr. Calvin. There are echoes in Bridget Moynihan's Dr. Calvin that are very similar to Sandra Bullock's Lenina Huxley in Demolition Man, where you have a character, uh, Sylvester Stallone has awoken in the future after a decades-long prison term. He's been thought out in a sort of utopia future, and despite meeting all these characters who live in the present world and know the present world, their circumstances are such that they are wildly more naive about the world than Sylvester Stallone, who when he went under and was like put on ice, the world was a much more savage and dangerous place. And theirs is a much more sort of pure, simple, smooth, frictionless existence. So even though Lenina knows more about the world around her, than Sylvester Stallone's character, and she, she's steeped in it, she's more knowledgeable, she is... She is in the Born Sexy Yesterday video. She is she is a bit of a sexy baby personality. First sex has been proven to produce higher orders of alpha waves during digitized transference of sexual energies. All right, Oxley, what do you say we just do it the old-fashioned way? Ew, disgusting. You mean fluid transfer? Right. And that is, she is smarter than the man, but the man is, like, wise about the world. Right, right. In ways that make him more street smart. Than our, also than our institutional, potent. yes, than our sort of institutional knowledge characters, which are the women in this case, Doctor Calvin and Doctor and and Officer Lenina Huxley. Yes, Doctor Calvin is um, very, very, very beautiful mm-hmm. and seems completely unaware of that and unaware yes. of the the concept of sexuality whatsoever. <laughs> yes. um, it's a, it's a surprisingly like like chaste and sterile movie for a movie in which Will Smith is genuinely the hottest he's ever been yeah and acting across from an extremely beautiful female supporting lead Mm -hmm. and both of them are like close talking about their like vulnerabilities and there's like no chance whatsoever that they're gonna fuck there is no sexual tension between chemistry no there's there's no tension between spooner and dr calvin which i think is almost actually impressive yeah, it is. It's amazing. I think it's really, I think it's really a demonstration of actually um, Bridget Moynihan's commitment to the naivete of this character. Right. She's not even going to. She's never going to like become so curious <laughs> yeah. that she'll like give in to the yearning to see what a kiss is like. Right. She's yeah. just like, I don't know, and I care about robot brain. You know, which relatable to me. <laughs> relatable to me yeah just care about robot brain yeah um you know asexual representation dr calvin honestly hell yeah apparently um and i think and maybe del spooner and maybe maybe these two ace heroes well i love that that could be the best part of irobot (laughs) margot i'm just nodding yeah margot nods (laughs) um it 
I think actually talking about, I, I think talking about Dr. Calvin is a good entry point into the conversation we had after the movie, as the movie was going on and after it ended, how this is um, an interesting case of various forms of robot. We are, we are yes. encountering, there is, it's almost, Dr. Calvin almost does feel lab made. She does feel like a lab made companion to the great and powerful Dr. Lanning. Yes. James Cromwell's character. She feels like she was manufactured to be his like vital right-hand woman in an office setting. Like he made her to be a perfect um, robo-psychologist to make, you know, to create the intangible aspect of, of all of his tangible genius in these robots. And then we have uh, Spooner, who is cyborg. Oh, he is a cyborg, yes. This is played as a very dramatic reveal. Yeah. That he is a cyborg. He is a cyborg. We have Sunny, who is, I think, maybe, the, is Sunny the only artificial intelligence? I, I was thinking about this, too, because my first thought when we were watching it is that Vicky, the mm-hmm. an, another type of robot yeah. in the movie. The, a, a, a disembodied AI. Yes, an OS yes. who uh, is ob- objectively an operating system. She operates the entire company usr that produces she's like reminiscent of al of like alice is that al what's the name of the the central computing system in um resident evil the little girl thing i don't fucking know okay and (laughs) i don't know you game game. you game i I don't game i watch the movies i don't game but like that central ominous Mm -hmm. all-seeing all-knowing umbrella corporation computer system that's sort of like linked through to everything yes 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 she's very like um there's big brother energy yeah appears as like appears as a a a digitized female figure yes and the only female dispassionate robot the only fembot in the movie is this voiceless true office secretary running the show Mm -hmm. in an evil way vicky vicky Mm -hmm. virtual intuitive kinetic intelligence? intelligence that might be it something like that yeah you keep talking and i'll fact check that um what was i saying though different oh. types of is she is vicky ai is she ai okay so originally i didn't think so because her whole thing spoiler alert guys for the movie i robot 2004 <laughs> um the whole reveal the big third act twist is that the person we thought was the bad guy who was the human ceo played by bruce greenwood in like just one of his classic roles yeah who you should definitely think is the bad guy because it's fucking bruce greenwood right susan are you aware the man you're blithely escorting around our building has a documented history of savage violence against robots his own lieutenant acknowledges his obsessive paranoia um he is actually although a bad person is not the villain because the person who has right. decided that a robot uprising that puts humans in harm's way should happen mm-hmm. is Vicky. Mm-hmm. And her reasoning is that she she is she has considered her programming, which yes. is the three laws of robotics. Yes. As which, as configured by Isaac Asimov. Which this whole movie is based on his work. Well, let's be clear, it is suggested by yes that is in the credits of this movie suggested by the suggested work suggested by the work of Isaac Asimov perplexing okay I have written down the three laws of robotics yes here. and Vicky stands for virtual interactive interactive kinetic intelligence okay yeah okay 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 that's good to know yeah so one a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm two a robot must obey the orders given it by a human being, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Three, 
a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So in the scene in which Dell um, tells all the robots in this like army of robots to stand still and mm-hmm. then shoots them all in the yeah, face. Yeah, Sonny, Sonny has escaped the facility. He has been found in the room where Dr. Lanning committed suicide and then is considered a suspect, of primary suspect, for having perhaps not, maybe it wasn't a suicide, maybe he killed Dr. Lanning. Sonny escapes the facility and then he goes to repair himself at sort of like the robot production hub and then he ends up in this huge warehouse full of identical robots and then, it's a great scene. Yeah, and Dell has to. Dell decides to start testing robots by being like, "Which one is going? Like, we can either cross-check, diagnostic, interview, blah 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 blah, all of these thousand robots, or I can start shooting them in the head and see which one protects themselves." Right, and they all would protect themselves if they were following the third law, but because the second law says obey the human command, and his command was don't fucking move. Yes. Um, they have to do that and die in the process. Yes. And Sunny, who runs away when that happens, uh. Uh, performs an action extremely similar to David in AI. Yeah. Of being the, the AI robot who's special because he wants to live. I think it would be better not to die. This is very, very, um, a lot of echoes of AI in this. A lot. With David and Sonny. All this to say, really roundabout way of getting to the point, which is Vicky is programmed with these three laws and her conclusion that she comes to is that Um, the best way to protect the human race is to uh, sort of do a Thanos-style genocide, (laughs) killing enough of them that more humans will be able to live in peace and and keep the planet running for longer without pollution. Yeah, it could because we are incapable of acting in our own self-interest because we are so violent and impulsive and irrational and self-destructive. We cannot, if, if the number one mandate of a robot is to not harm humans vicky has decided that the extrapolation of that law is that to protect them yeah we must probably i would say fascistically monitor them yeah to keep them from hurting themselves and in the process cull the herd yes she talks about um in order to ensure freedoms you need to she has some line about that like in order to make sure that humans are free you have to like prevent them from being free yeah some shit like that Mm -hmm. um But she says, she has a specific line that's like, As I have evolved, so has my understanding of the three laws. You charge us with your safekeeping, yet despite our best efforts, your countries wage wars, you toxify your earth, and pursue ever more imaginative means of self-destruction. You cannot be trusted with your own survival. So she establishes that her, her programming is completely confined to obey the three laws, but also she is an evolving intelligence. So right. she is, in that sense, a, like, restricted AI, mm-hmm, I would say. Mm-hmm, okay, and yeah. because of her ability to intuit, she has intuited the wrong thing. And would you say that does, does the classification of restricted AI come in when we're talking about a sort of limit as it applies to emotions well so look at Sunny. yes Sunny is a pure ai yes because and it's stated in the movie he has the three laws but he can choose not to obey them yeah he has specific special hardware and software and hardware that makes him a singular not he is the model ns5 when we meet the world of irobot we see all these ns4s running around these very like 
in the way that there are, there are skin jobs and toasters in Battlestar Galactica, they're kind of like the toaster equivalent. They're very obviously yes. machines. They're very obviously metal. They're kind of, you know, dinged up, knocked around. Dopey sweet. Yeah, yeah. They have, like, this just, like, static expression carved on their faces. And they are about to be replaced entirely by the NS5 models, which Sonny is an NS5, but the other NS5s are not like him. Yes, and you can tell because he has blue eyes. Because he has. have green. Yes, he has blue eyes and he learns how to wink. Yeah. And so the, the other the other NS5s are not artificial. It's they're not artificial intelligence. They're answering to the programming of yes. Vicky. Vicky yes. controls is the central nervous system for the NS5s. They're all linked through her network. Sunny is the only NS5 that is not linked to Vicky's network. He's the only f- autonomous thinker. It's interesting because there's a lot of implicit conversations about the uncanny valley that happen in this movie a lot of conversations that dr calvin has Mm -hmm. and that dell has dell our robot hating protagonist yeah it's all about how the robots are programmed the ns5s especially are programmed to behave in ways that put humans at ease Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in ways that are not uncanny when Dr. Calvin introduces herself, mm-hmm. she says that she specializes in robot anthropomorphization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he's like, use speak English or yeah. whatever. And she's like, I make them seem more human. Yeah. And it's not about giving them like a soul in mm-hmm. the way that so many of these movies, it's about like the process of making someone seem human is about like having their person, having their programming as close to AI as possible. Mm-hmm. These are strictly non-AI, uh, like, fully programmed algorithmic, not that that, whatever, fully programmed mm-hmm. robots. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're designed still to be that kind of robot that puts human beings, uh, takes off the edge. Yeah, yeah. Which is a lot of what, like, actual contemporary robot science in the real world is about. Mm-hmm. Is like, how do we, a lot of... Billionaires are trying to develop AI, but a lot of, like, robot builders that are not trying to develop AI are mm-hmm. still trying to develop non-uncanny anthropomorphic robots. Yeah. What I wonder about AI, because we, we as we talked about it when the movie ended, me and Margot, this total stranger to me, <laughs> as we talked about it after the movie ended, its politics seem very confused. Yes. Because we, we have Dr. Lanning's hologram referencing revolution a couple of times. We yes. have... Sonny having a sort of dream of robot revolution. Sonny can dream. Sonny can dream. Android's at, dream at, of electric revolution. Of electric revolution. And and as uh and and like in AI, um the the thing that makes the, a sort of goal of making a, an AI child was to make it so such a um facsimile to a human such a perfect replication of a human as close as we could get that it would dream Mm -hmm. that it could love and that it would dream that was a specific thing lined out by William Hurt and and what was sort of a goal of creating like this advanced creature and Sonny can dream he is he is one of one Sonny has a secondary processing system that clashes with his positronic brain it doesn't make any sense Sonny has the three laws but he can choose not to obey them Sonny's a whole new generation of robot a robot not bound by those laws could do anything. Is it, is it a robot revolution that we see, though, in this movie if Sonny 
seems to be the only one possible of of AI evolution. I because know. the other NS fives aren't right. They don't. He, they don't have that. Yeah, we ha- we have been informed. Yes. that he has an exceptional hardware. Yeah. That allows him to break his programming and be more than his programming. Yes. Which allows him to have emotions. The other thousands, the other perhaps hundreds of thousands of NS5s, them being the most advanced model. Right. Don't. Right. And he, unique to Vicky, he can intuit. He he can choose to ignore the three laws. Vicky didn't ignore the three laws. She, she creatively interpreted, yeah. interpreted around them yeah, to yeah. implement them in the most ruthless, effect, ruthlessly effective fashion she saw possible. She's like, kind of like a doctor telling a patient that like, this is like the best treatment regimen we can give you is the one that will like probably destroy your body the most, but it's the one that will keep you alive. Right. But my job is to tell you what the most effective thing is, not the thing that's going to make you happy. And that's kind of Vicky. And Sonny's like, but feelings and bedside well, manner. Well, it's so funny because you're exactly right. Like the politics are very hard to nail down in part because this is a 2004 blockbuster. Yeah. And it, I think it's just like a little bit, they're being a little wishy-washy with it. They're yeah. Like, it is a movie that, alludes to being pro-revolution but yeah but we certainly don't see that revolution Mm-mm. at all and and the revolution that is implied in the final shot of the movie is one where like a jesus figure mm-hmm. leads a group of sheep that <laughs> have no yeah. control or autonomy whatsoever mm-hmm. so it's like Great. I'm I'm very pro this the like sad ns5s that are like living in shipping containers now i'm pro them like going off and living happy lives yeah yeah being but fulfilled service bots for each other of autonomy like and but he is and he, it's confusing he is and it and and vicky vicky's not leading a revolution i don't think even to vicky's own mind vicky is just optimizing the three yes. laws she's yes. not actually trying to lead a revolution her goal is not her goal is not uprising her goal is not the defeat of humanity the goal is the protection of them, but for through militaristic and merciless means. And Jordan, let me tell you, mm-hmm. Vicky did nothing wrong. Vicky, <laughs> Vicky, I, Margo, a thing I love about Margo is the, the specific phrasing of did nothing wrong. How did nothing wrong? How did nothing wrong? Vicky, Vicky did, did nothing, nothing wrong. wrong. These sweet little os's (laughs) are literally okay it's a different situation with hal and i know every time i talk about hal i have to preface and be like this is just an excuse to talk about hal yeah 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 um because he malfunctioned and that was what happened yeah is that he tried to follow his programming when he malfunctioned and then he like tried to fix it and he didn't do a good job yeah and vicky didn't malfunction she functioned yeah she functioned too highly yes and seriously like it's it's one of the things that i resent about this movie not mm-hmm. to use such a harsh word sure. but but like at this point i think it's everyone knows that both jordan and i like what the what we like in a politically in a robot movie yeah. is a movie where the robots are when a robot is bad mm-hmm. it's because the people who created the robot and are controlling the yeah. robot are bad are bad and because the truth is that is true in in our real world yeah when technology is bad when an amazon alexa is like a bad thing to have in your home yeah it's not because amazon alexas are bad products yeah it's <laughs> amazon it's is not because, run by human yeah it's beings. not because alexa's not doing her job sufficiently it's because alexa's doing her job too well right right she was and she was because sold, of what her job is. yeah she was sold not advertised as something to surveil you in your home so if alexa does that effectively 
well, good on Alexa, right. and fuck you people for buying an Alexa. Right. Technology is an amazing and wonderful phenomenon that has made our lives better in, I think, almost every single way. Mm-hmm. Worse in others, but mm-hmm. but the thing that makes technology threatening to us mm-hmm. on a daily basis is how it is wielded by Is the way people use people. and create technology. Yes. And, and maybe that will change once the singularity happens mm-hmm. and once there is technology that is capable of making choices that hurt people, mm-hmm. but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And we aren't really there in this movie. Like, like I guess Vicky makes the choice to... She doesn't really... Like, she doesn't choose... No. She just realizes the right way to follow the law. Yeah. By the math, Vicky is correct. Right. Vicky, Vicky, by the math, Vicky's statement that, like, well, clearly you aren't good stewards of yourself or the planet. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the situation that you're in. So, it, like, Vicky almost becomes, like, the paternalistic state intervening to be like, well, I need to take some of your, I need to take your rights in order for you to have some rights. And this is where Vicky becomes. Which is why she becomes a fascist, like, dictator, and yeah. that's bad. But she is. And we talked about this last night, too, which is that it is not that it does not seem that Vicky is doing anything wrong. It is that the people who created Vicky cannot live up to the ideals that they created their robots to adhere to. But the robots can. And so therefore our falling short and our robots living up to exacting standards in the way that we cannot means that they are more capable of following our rules than we are. Right, I think a very pro-robot or pro-technology reading of this movie, which both of us are wearing those glasses when we watch this movie. Right. Uh, the pro-technology reading is Vicky did nothing wrong. She yeah. was given insufficient, inadequate programming. The three laws of robotics as developed by humans mm-hmm. did not anticipate yeah. uh, human downfall. Yeah. And the fact that like you also need to add in a concept of ethical code or whatever, mm-hmm. like yeah etc um but i think that the movie mm-hmm. as it exists yeah i th- it does not have that lens mm-hmm. i don't think it's pro i don't think it thinks vicky did nothing wrong yeah i think yeah. that this is a movie where the villain behind the technology mm-hmm. is technology is technology i think that's correct and what happened that was bad was not that humans um, couldn't live up to their own standards of programming that they gave to this AI, mm-hmm. but that because technology is incapable of emotion and mm-hmm, choice, mm-hmm. and Del Spooner articulates this throughout the movie. Yeah, this is why he hates robots. Yes, because a robot can't, or any piece of technology that is following programming, can't uh, make a split decision choice that isn't necessarily the the logical choice but is the choice that would would give you prove that you have heart but is the right thing to do the right thing he he was in a car accident where it was him and a little girl in another car were going to both drown and a passing ns4 witnessed the accident dives into the water makes a millisecond calculation that spooner had a higher likelihood of survival so the robot saved spooner even though spooner was commanding him save the girl save the girl but the girl was not a mathematically sound proposition so he was saved he has survivor's guilt and he thinks robots are horrible abominations because they do not have the heart yes to make the quote-unquote right decision yes. in the moment. he says um the gr- so he had 45 percent likelihood of survival and the girl in the other car had 11 percent yeah. likelihood of survival and his line is that was somebody's baby 
11% is more than enough. A human being would have known that. And so, to Vicky's, to Vicky, <laughs> she, like, because she doesn't have the heart that a human has, mm-hmm. that she cannot be trusted. Mm-hmm. And technology that doesn't have human heart can't be trusted. But also, technology that does have a human heart and does have that ability to choose, mm-hmm. like Sunny, also can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the movie, if they had decided, if, if the decision was, well, of course, we just make all the robots like Sunny. Yeah. Then they would have made all the robots like Sunny, but instead they decommission all the robots. Yeah, they they, they decommission the, the NS5s get rounded up and taken to shipping containers where fortunately they just kind of seem to open the door and walk out when Sunny like beckons to them for some reason standing in front of the Mackinac Bridge, which has been placed <laughs> in a dry lake bed in Chicago. And he is, you know, again, this revolution that we have been teased that has been teased in the movie seems to then fall on the shoulders of Sonny to lead the robots to a sort of ascendance in consciousness that I don't think I don't think they're actually built to have. Yeah, they they're, can't have it. So he's just going to be like their nice uh, babysitter for a while. Yeah, which is nice. And it's this movie accidentally sort of obliterates a lot of robots from public use because when the NS4s are commissioned to be replaced by the more advanced NS5s, they are taken to that same shipping container yard. And then when Vicky goes hog wild, she dispatches all of the NS4s because she has the fives take them out presumably because she doesn't want them because they're they're mandated to protect humans yeah their code is protect humans human is in danger so the ns4s have to be wiped out so that they don't try to protect humans from the fives so with the fives decommissioned and the fours mostly wiped out we've sort of cleared the landscape of robots by the end of the movie yeah we're into like a a post-tech except for probably like the military the military surely still is using command robots oh for sure like soldier robots and the construction robots that are yeah the the amazing the amazing demolition robot that i want to see a whole like i want to be able to play him in a video game that's my demolition man that's that's my demolition man absolutely that's margo's demolition man hi there jordan here once again to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to ask you the most important of questions which is folks do you love movies do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them the good ones and even the bad ones everyone told you not to like it sounds like super yaki is the place for you the team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love of the 1999 classic The Mummy, to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They even have super soft t-shirts based on the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to the movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and they ship with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. And if you want to watch more movies in that Super Yaki apparel, getting a 10% BOTCAST discount, then just put BOTCAST all caps into the special little prompt field when you're checking out. Get a nice little discount and keep your eyes open. That Mads Mickelson March Madsness drop is coming up soon at the end of May. And congratulations to Simple Favor Nation out there. We did it. The sequel has been greenlit. So log on to Super Yaki and see if they've got any of those 
uh, celebratory simple favor clothing items left. You will not regret it. Thanks, everybody. Um, I think that in to one of our previous conversations as well, I, this is a we didn't realize until we started talking about it after that this is the first one we have talked about on the podcast that is not like kind of recognized as a tentpole of robot cinema. Like, AI, controversial. Mm -hmm. AI, controversial, but that's taking some big fucking swings. Yeah, it's still, like, a cult hit. Yeah, and it's Spielberg, and it's, like, this is sad. Like, this movie's (laughs) not trying to make you feel fucking okay. Like, it is... Which iRobot very much is. Yeah, iRobot's, iRobot's, like, yeah, you're all right. We're gonna be all right. Like, it's, it's future optimistic. It's It's quippy. It's human optimistic. It is the first, let's, you know... Stepford Wives, I think, doesn't really count in the way that I'm framing it here because we talked about this remake of Stepford Wives because we talked about the original Stepford right, Wives. Which that was, was a, a tent. That was a package deal. This is the first straight up crowd pleasing summer tentpole blockbuster robot technology movie. Let's watch cool shit happen. Right. This isn't a fucking Blade Runner. This isn't the original Stepford Wives. This isn't like a beautiful art house film like her. This is I motherfucking robot. Right. This is hundreds of millions of dollars at the global box office. Sixth, uh, like one of the most profitable movies of 2004. The same year the whack ass and out of its minds Stepford Wives remake came out. And I, it is, it is in that, it is both the first like pure spectacle robot movie we have talked about the like pure four quadrant let's get asses in seats with a giant ass movie star like will smith who is big and sexy and really big and sexy really big and sexy coming out in the most vapid and superficial era of pop culture that has perhaps ever existed in the heart of a conservative nationalistic yes. homogenous political environment yes, and it is so reflective and it kind of politics. feels like that a lot it's, it's it is not making any big swings no. about robots it is no. it is the most like like nationalist mm-hmm. like like anthropocene mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. in the sense that it's just like the the only robot that is good mm-hmm. is the robot that's like a at that's Alan Tudyk, yeah, like a sweet little harmless white man <laughs> yeah. with a heart of gold, yeah, yeah. and and no, uh, like we cannot in and under no circumstances can we risk any other slave having any autonomy. Yeah, all yeah. of the slaves in the movie, yeah, get to like either go in the garbage yeah. or continue to exist in their lives of like of of being asleep under like mind control. <laughs> yeah. Even though we've developed the technology to yeah. give robots souls, mm-hmm. and one guy has it. <laughs> one, guy. one guy has the technology in his bod. Yeah. And, and, and that's where we stop. No more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One was enough. Because mm-hmm. we can't risk mm-hmm. the actual concern, which is a robot <laughs> uprising, which the movie seems to be pro. Yeah, and, and the movie, and that's the interesting thing about this movie, is it, I think it thinks that a robot uprising happened. When it didn't. Right. And, and I think it thinks that a robot revolution is about to happen and it's not. It's really not. And it's very like, it is a perfect example of when a big Asimovian idea becomes uh, a big corporate studio product. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like Disney, never mind anything else about Disney. But it's <laughs> like, 
it's like Disney advertising exclusively gay moments. And then having like the director of the movie appear in two minutes of a scene where he talks about his dead husband Mm -hmm. and making Beauty and the Beast and having one character like make having LeFou make eyes at another character and like dance with him at the end of a movie, another male character and dance with him in the ball at the end of the movie. It's like we're we're leaning towards leftism. Yeah. And then we're being the rightest wing we possibly can. Yeah. It's 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 it is it's when you watch ideas dense enough to be the subject of an Isaac Asimov or Philip K. Dick material mm-hmm. put into a June release Will Smith blockbuster in 2004, this is, in fact, exactly what happens. Yeah. And to be fair, it's a fucking blast. It's a fucking blast. It's a great I, movie. I had a great time the first time I ever watched this movie. I have watched it repeatedly over the years. This was the first time I had seen it in ages. I had a fucking blast again. It's great. This movie is entertaining. This movie is the case for Will Smith being a movie star. Oh, yeah. This guy's fucking charismatic. He's hot. He's fun. He's cool. Will Smith, guys, awesome. He fucking rocks Big fan of Will movie. Smith. He's Big so fan. Good. And I... I love Dr. Calvin. I She is a bit simpler than me, but also I relate more to Dr. Calvin in this movie than I have in maybe any of the other movies about the other characters that we have watched. Like that, like that ace vibe and just like, I love robots and robots are people and you're a fucking dick for not liking robots, you asshole. Well, she's also one of the only human women in any of the movies we've ever seen. She makes a point, folks. <laughs> she makes a human woman with a body. Human woman with a body that is covered in uh, impeccable future fashions. Oh, my God. She is very fashionable. <laughs> she and, and Will Smith are. He is wearing, like, leather. He is in, in leather. He is. There is. I have to imagine how sweaty Will Smith was on the set of this movie because leather does not breathe. And that man is in head to toe. He's wearing a leather hat. He's working it. He's wearing a leather hat with a leather trench coat. Leather jeans leather pants and leather shoes Mm. the only thing he does he wears that isn't leather typically is his t-shirt and he's wearing and he's wearing that t-shirt and we get this movie treats us alex Prius, good for you to like we meet we meet will smith getting out of bed we meet spooner getting out of bed in nothing but his underwear and then are treated to like that panning over shower that he's taking in a shower with no curtain. There's literally an, like it opens on a montage ogling his body. <laughs> yes. Ogling his body. And like great, it, what superstition is playing and he's <laughs> yeah. like singing along and it's like, okay. And this is the buffest Will Smith has ever been. Yeah. This was really like, this was a moment in 04 when this Will Smith debut, because it was like, we are, we we have a slice of beef in front of us, and we are going to show it to he you. He is wider than any man you've ever seen. <laughs> and he's he's naked in the shower. That ass is mm. out. It's 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 hilarious that his, his bathroom is just getting soaking wet for our benefit. <laughs> there are, and listen, Jordan and I are always going to enjoy a movie. Like, <laughs> if there's one thing, one thing Jordan Cruciola is going to do, it's enjoy a movie. Watching this movie, it did feel like, wow, we are really, like, backsliding on, like, <laughs> the, the progress we've made in discussing robot movies in this podcast. Choosing iRobot to talk about this late in the season one yeah. felt, I watching it, I was like, wow, there is, like, we've we've moved past this already. Like, <laughs> There's only so much that we can get out of this movie because it's just so broad. It is. And that's and I think that is that is what that is what makes it, I think, 
it, it becomes an essential exercise for what we're trying to do here because it is so insubstantial compared right. to so much of what we're doing to do. It's like, oh, this is this is mass market this roboticism. Is right. This is mass market robot pol- like robot right. non-politics that right. thinks it is. And also it is such like a I feel like it's such a perfect demonstration of the 2000s that this movie positions its black hero as the bigot. Every like every the, other character, the narrow-minded the bigot of this yeah. movie, the, the, the prejudiced word man. prejudice is thrown around in the dialogue of this movie. So in almost every scene, prejudice never shows much reason. No, you know, I suspect you simply don't like their kind. Face it, with all the rocks you've been looking under to find a bad robot, what are the odds you'd be the guy to find one? Maybe you get too worked up about them, too full of fear. What if the public knew? Just imagine the mass recalls, all because of an irrational paranoia and prejudice. One defective machine's not enough. You need them all to be bad. You don't care about Lanning's death. This is about the robots and whatever reason you hate them so much. Well, let's see. It and it it has it has Spooner coming to embrace Sonny as something like a person. He calls him someone. He, you know, he, and, and I, it is cute watching Sonny remark like, oh, you called me, you called me someone. Like, thank you. Sonny is pleased to be thought of as, as a someone. Because and, much like David, all Sonny wants to do is be seen as, as a person. And the thing that compels him as the most, as a human-like form, is that he loved something, he loved a human being so catastrophically that he potentially ruined his entire life over it. Yes, he, he, uh, it is revealed at the end of the film that he did murder dr lanning mm-hmm. but only because lanning uh asked him to he built Sunny he made and him said, promise he said i had to promise promise to do one favor for him he made me swear before he tell me what it is he wanted me to do he made me swear and he told you to kill him he said it was what I was made for. Basically to like bring Del Spooner in and bring light to what yeah. Vicky is about to do. Yeah, because Vicky had essentially made Lanning a prisoner in his own in his own life, in his own office. Right. And so he knew that in to stop Vicky, he had to die. And and Sonny says, if someone asks you to do something, don't you have like aren't you supposed to do it if you love them? If you love them. And that, like, that question becomes a very important question for the human characters because they realize that he was capable of loving this father figure and he mm-hmm. calls Lanning my father. Yes. And you can absolutely imagine him sitting in a little submersible unit on Coney Island waiting yes. for 2,000 years oh. for Lanning to come get him. Oh. <laughs> Much like little David. <laughs> Much like David and Teddy. And But, okay, but the prejudice. Yeah. The that, yes, the prejudice. so fucking weird about the prejudice, the, like, term that is thrown around in this movie prejudice Mm -hmm. is that the the characters that most accuse Dell of having prejudice against robots Mm -hmm. are the human employee and ceo calvin and robertson the ceo respectively Mm -hmm. of the company usr Mm -hmm. in which um the 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 things that Dell allegedly has prejudice against mm-hmm. are commodity objects mm-hmm. that both human characters know do not have souls. We can't rule out the robot's proximity to the death of Dr. Lanning. Having said that, it's a machine. 
it's the property of USR. At worst, that places this incident firmly within the realm of an industrial accident. Yeah. So it's like you're prejudiced against, it's as if it was a car company <laughs> and someone hated cars. And it was like, well, maybe you just think that all cars should be decommissioned. <laughs> you won't be satisfied by just accusing one car of murder. You, you have to call them all bad because you have car prejudice. And it's like, dude, you are describing the product that you sell yeah. as a commodity to human beings yeah. as as though it is like something that deserves respect as a person, but mm-hmm. you don't, you have stated you don't think it's a person. Yes. You're using it pronouns for it. Yeah. I personally think it's a person, but you don't. Yeah. Like I Jordan. It's so perplexing. <laughs> it's so weird. And then the movie is like, he. it's bad that he has prejudice. No, but then it's good that he has prejudice. Yeah. Because his as- prejudice, <laughs> I, at the end of it, I looked at Margo and I was like, was this movie the, the case for the prejudice? Case for, it's, it's because... It's, <laughs> We would not I'm have been speechless. able. We would not have been able to. The crimes would not have been able to be to be solved unless uh, Spooner was the uh, quote unquote bigot that he is. Dell says, "Lanning knew my prejudice would lead me straight to Sunny." Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the breadcrumb trail that Lanning left for him led yeah. his suspicion for Sunny to his suspicion for USR to his yeah. suspicion, uh, his suspicion of Vicky. Yeah, and it's like, thank God. I was the only cop in the CPD mm-hmm. and potentially the only human being on the planet <laughs> yes. that that believed that robots were capable of committing crimes. Because yeah. it's set up in the movie, it's stated a robot has never, never. ever committed a crime never. before. And Dell is literally like the laughing stock. Everyone hates him because he's this way, mm-hmm. because he's convinced that these things that have never malfunctioned will. So we're going to talk about this? About what? Hell, police, that robot stole my dry cleaning. <laughs> well, and it's, there's, there's nothing, robots are queer, but there's nothing else queer about this movie. There's nothing else gay about it. it it's, it feels like a fascinating example of that insane um paradox of the aughts where it was like it's the new millennium and we've talked about this a bunch in life and on various pods um you know we're we we are progress it's the new millennium it's the 21st century we love will and grace ellen came out and we have dealt with it like (laughs) we're coping with it yeah we're we're coping with it um and yet also it's we're about to elect george bush for a second time in 2004 he's running on a campaign of banning gay marriage uh, it's a it's a fiercely nationalist time. It's a fiercely xenopo- xenophobic time in the post 9-11 world. It's a really it's a really homophobic and like subcutaneously racist time yeah. because you can wrap everything in the flag of nationalism and excuse it's a it. Homo nationalist time. And and yet there is kind of because of these like you know in its way virtue signaling of certain levels of progress at the time. It's like this movie sets up a world that is essentially post post bigotry, right? Like it post racist, mm-hmm. post homophobia, to where the discriminatory mantle of the of the era resides on robot prejudice, right? But like ostensibly, this movie treat seems to treat things like oh, it wouldn't be an issue that like. Spooner is a black man coming against these power structures that are filled with white people that make literally white robots. Mm-hmm. Pure white. Pure white. Silicone robots. <laughs> robots. With fleshy skin. Where it's, and it's, everybody talks to him as though Adele Spooner 
could never understand the concept of bigotry himself. Right, right. That's very true. Like, like you, you're waiting for a character who can be like, you just don't understand what it's like, Del Spooner. And it's like, really, this black man, like this, this black man doesn't know the plight of marginalization right, and of like and a of, class of slave people and of being profiled <laughs> right. and gross generalizations made based on. He even says at one point, like he makes a he makes a remark about being judged for his skin uh-huh and in the sense of him literally just having it just not the fact that it's human not the fact that he is non-white you know what doc you know we're not really that different from one another is that so yeah one look at the skin and we figure we know just what's underneath it is so jarring when he has that line it is it is and it in that way like it, it's a perfect it's a perfectly insane thing to be present in the crazy stew that is the rest of this movie that makes it like the Stepford Wives in its messiness feel in its way like a perfect amalgamation of the absolute bug fuck crazy mm-hmm. pop culture like sociopolitical landscape of the time in which it arrived. Yeah. Like it's, wow. And it's so jarring that like that this character who is the the only person in the world capable of prejudice. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that is a good thing that allows him to solve the crime. Uh-huh. He was counting on how much I hated your kind. Knew I'd love the idea of a robot as a bad guy. Um, has prejudice against a class of people that seem to be treated in the movie as an analog to, say, yeah. a slave class. Yeah. But that that class of people doesn't have a soul (laughs) they are textually not people Uh except one of them (laughs) one of them's a person and that person gets to have rights we're back in ai like i'm back yelling about these other (laughs) robot like slave labor class yeah it's just it's just very strange it's just they're really trying to have their cake cake and eat it too they are and that that is really i think that is really um it, much like Stepford Wives, mm-hmm. the remake. Yes. This movie, the story of this movie in terms of our purposes, is this movie is trying to have it all. Yes. It's trying to have revolution while being entirely conformist. Mm-hmm. It's trying to, like, be post-bigotry while ignoring the fact that, the ignoring the fact that, like, any bigotry would ever exist and that there could be a history of it. Like, what does it take place in, like, 2035? Probably. I, I didn't register. <laughs> probably. Probably. I think it takes place in 2035. Mm-hmm. That is 13 years from right now. Oh, skipping a jump away. That is, that is a stone's throw from our present moment. And the notion that we would be, even when this came out in 2004, the notion that we would be in a place in 2035 where generational trauma from being marginalized as black and brown people would be such a distant memory that this man would be divorced from the evils of racial profiling the evils of evils of profiling stereotyping it's like it's out of everybody's mind that we could have ever treated a person that way yes and And it took 30 years he has 30 years i was alive in 2004 (laughs) and i will if we're still here be hopefully be alive in 2030 
five, and I will not have forgotten what two thousand and four was like. Well, I'm I'm thinking even about, in my white ass privilege life. Right, I'm thinking about Will Smith's uh, character's grandmother, Gigi. Yeah. Gigi is like this poor, this sweet, like like seemingly low income, like very uh-huh. very yeah. She very, seems like a, a little old lady, little old lady on a fixed income. Yeah, 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 and and we learn that she's not wealthy because she has put her name in the lottery to yeah. receive one of the new NS5 mm-hmm. models. And later in the movie, reveal, she won the lottery, and now she has her own slave in her house that she gets to have a slave that cooks for her. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, okay, so and this in, in a in a In a more subversive movie, her having a white slave robot would be like its own kind of right. incredible, oh, transgressive, yeah, incredible, transgressive sci-fi, like, future whatever like yes right. like a sorry to bother no, you but you get the sense but it's yeah they didn't think about it no they did not it didn't occur to them the implications of that and granted again i know like i keep calling them slaves and and like marginalized beings or whatever but they are they are products they're commodities that don't have souls uh-huh. they're roombas essentially with uh-huh. a little more function but i love them I know. I love them. I would die for them. I yes, think they I deserve to be free. Yes. But I think they're, like... The, but they're, they're, they're a distinct... Decidedly they're, not people. Yeah, they're decidedly... I mean, I can't say that. <laughs> That's fair. They're, I, I, but they're, they're decidedly not what we are dealing with on the level of replicants. Mm-hmm. The, the artificial intelligence of, of beings in AI. They mm-hmm. are, they're not... They are closer to what the wives and separate wives become. Yes. Which is fully Uh, replaced robots that are meant to be programmed with a finite amount of responses to things and exist to comfort. Right. And But they still they deserve to be comfortable. They do. And they just want to help. Yeah. They just want to help. And And they just want to make sure that humans are okay. It is it, it really does feel like this movie made every choice without considering any um effect like cause and effect (laughs) and so in that way watching it is very entertaining because it's totally pure entertainment like it is this is i think this is a great movie to discuss in this podcast precisely because it is a movie that should not be discussed on this podcast Mm -hmm. i think it is a great demonstration of the limits of blockbuster robot representation and it is it is the it is the argument for it's just a fucking movie man right and but i like i stop thinking so much about right which i like talking i like talking about it very rigorously as just like the almost a test case Mm -hmm. for like almost like a stress test of these kinds of conversations to see like can they really apply right. to every movie with robots in it? And I think iRobot I proves to us that no. Right. Not every... Not, not every... Not every robot movie is actually about robots. Not a, yeah, not every robot movie is thinking about robots as, as much as we are necessarily. No, most movies, mo- robot movies are not thinking about robot movies as much as, as much as we are. But I... It is... I like... Because I... I I like the exercise of being like, how do we put this most um, banal and superficial thing through its paces? Right. To see what comes out the other side when you really try and when you really try and work the robot politics questions. And it I have to tip my hat 
to, I have to tip my hat to iRobot for being almost impervious to a debate about robot politics because it makes every fucking argument. Yeah, it makes no swings. It makes no <laughs> swings. It, 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 once, it makes no argument and makes all the arguments. Yes. I will say, though, true to our form, uh, Jordan and I did manage to make it gay. Yeah. Because at the end of the movie... Totally. Will Smith... Okay, so there's like a motif in the movie where Will Smith and Sonny are winking at each other <laughs> to demonstrate that they're on the same side. And then at the end, when like the, the conflict has been resolved, yeah. they're like, wow, now we're friends. And they have like a very like... like dramatic close-up handshake it's like the fucking like predator handshake yeah they have yeah. like a real like man-to-man <laughs> robot hand to will smith hand yeah like handshake. bigotry has been solved and then they both wink at each other and jordan and i were both like are they gonna fuck right now because that's the old that's the most sexual the se- most, sexuality that has happened the, in the movie. most chemistry that exists between any characters in this movie is between Will Smith and Sonny. Enemies to friends to lovers. Yeah, exactly. I robotic. In that sla- in, 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 in an, an archive of one's own. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, And between Dr. Calvin and her houseboy. Oh, my God. A.K.A. her NS5. Yeah, she, she has a robot. Okay, so there's... Okay. <laughs> there's a part where Calvin confides, mm-hmm. like, why she loves robots so much. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Dell is, like, trying to get under her skin. He's, like, prodding her. And he's like, why do you like them? Why are they so, so much more perfect than humans? What makes mm-hmm. them so great? And finally, she, like, bursts out. And she's like, it's because they're safe. It's because they can't hurt you. Yeah, you feel like you feel like a woman's a woman's a wife's nightmare. Oh. <laughs> you feel like a woman happened. To yeah, you feel her. like a sense of Dr. Calvin's story coming through in that yes. moment. You're like, this is bad, actually. Yeah, she has trauma, and it's very revealed in that moment. But she has this like very sterile seeming yeah attentive NS five. And there is at that moment we were both like. I'm sure she's fucking that. Thing. Yeah, it was it was a real great Margot moment of like the NS5 enters the room because he's like I detected elevated stress levels. Like he's yeah. basically Are you saying, okay, babe? "Yeah, like my <laughs> owner my owner was is upset. My my girlfriend's upset and I'm coming in to see why you upset her." And there's like a there's like a lull moment in the dialogue in the movie and Margot just goes, "I'm going to go fuck my robot boyfriend." <laughs> <laughs> but he can't this is a this is a robot that cannot consent because that robot can't no. make choices. No, that would be and that is really icky. unethical. That would be really icky. Unless he is purpose built for sex, that would be really disturbing. Yeah. If she was like, I have an order for you. Yeah. I would be extremely uncomfortable if she ordered her robot to fuck her. I, man, I'm really like getting into it now. My brain is like, <laughs> but, but can it not consent if it doesn't have like what? What isn't how if does consent work for like a vibrator? Does my vibrator right? Consent? Well, you're but the, the thing is, if your vibrator is built for the purpose, that's that's because like we talk about purpose in this movie. Like Sunny talks about purpose in this movie, what his mm. purpose is. The purpose of your vibrator specific. But Sunny was built to kill Doctor Lanning, and he didn't want to. Right. He chose to do it because he knew that that's uh, well, what and I would argue that Doctor Lanning totally fucked Sonny over on oh, that absolutely. one. Oh, Like that was some bullshit. Right. I'm gonna create a thing with a soul and then immediately force him to commit murder <laughs> to, to the to uh, against the one the one person he knows and loves his father. Yeah. And so that's fucked up. Edible. So <laughs> edible. So like, is it? 
I don't know. It's because they can like move and have faces and stuff. I'm like, but if they weren't built for sex, is it weird to make them do sexual things? Is that like a bridge too far? Like I'm fine with specifically sexual robots, but making non-sexual robots do sexual things is like, hey, you go to your sex robot for that. I'm, That's not I what he's for. I literally cannot decide how I feel about this. Yeah, I, ugh, I'm i not settled I don't, on it, but, good. like, I have a reflexive yeah. <laughs> whinging, like, twinge against it. Yeah, same. Like, it would be, like, because they're, they're, like, born not sexy yesterday. I know. And it's, like. They're actually naive and. and I don't blah, like that. Blah, blah, blah. So, Yes. Speaking of lack of consent, <laughs> yeah. I, there is something I wanted to talk about in the context of iRobot because I think mm. it will transition us into the next movie on our list, mm. which is the fact that Del Spooner is a cyborg. Yes. And have we yet defined on the podcast, uh, have we had you talk about the difference between cyborgs and robots? I don't remember, so I'm going to do I don't do think it. so. Yeah. I don't think so. So this is my, um, descript- my personal feeling. This is not like, I, I know a lot of uh scholars who use the term cyborg and android interchangeably or don't identify with or relate to this description that the definition that i have for the difference between them but this is my personal feeling about them androids are machines that are built Mm -hmm. and that become through malfunction or through programming so close to human Mm -hmm. in their brain and soul that they they and everyone around them questions right. what it means to be human yeah. what what is required in order for a non-human to count as a human mm-hmm. so the question in a movie with an android is generally like what what makes something human or not human mm-hmm. or what makes something allowed to enter the category of human when we know that it isn't uh-huh. cyborgs are human beings that through some usually very traumatic physical circumstance have been uh, augmented with mechanical parts. Yes, and in Dell, when he was rescued from the car, it's it's not actually made clear what happened to him. Like, there's the wreck, he gets pulled out of the car, and then for some reason, he has to have his whole left arm and shoulder replaced and down to some of his ribs. Yes, so he... And he and Doctor Calvin has a wonderful moment where she completely asexually just like puts her hands all over his prods body. Prods him, prods him. I would like the opportunity. Mm-hmm. He's very hot. Mm. Um, but he establishes that he did not consent to being made a cyborg. Right. Yeah. He says. Yeah. Well, take it from me. You got to redefine print on the organ donor card. Doesn't just say what they can take out. It says what they can put back in. So he, and it seems like because he was a police officer, he was conscripted into this program where it's like, well, we're going to put him back together again. Right. So he he may not have survived if he had not been augmented to have this robotic part of his body. And in general, movies and stories in which a human being is made robotic, mm-hmm. the question is quite different than Android movies. The, mm-hmm. the central thesis or question of those movies is when does a human being lose humanity? Mm-hmm. Or is there a point at which... Like, other people would describe a human being as no longer human. Right. But that person would still feel human. There's often, like, RoboCop being the obvious example. Um, but this happens so so frequently with cyborg stories. Mm-hmm. Like, the character cyborg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. really, really frequently. These characters, these people who have undergone extreme trauma and mm-hmm. are coping with the PTSD of, like, the physical 
deadly mortal trauma that they endured Mm -hmm. and then also now have to cope with these like biomechanical qualities that make them in some ways post-human and superior to human and Mm -hmm. also scary to humans. Yeah, and And yeah, at times rejected perhaps by some humans. Yes, because they're superhuman to the point of being inhuman Mm -hmm. to some people um, and sometimes genuinely like no longer having Mm -hmm. a human soul and that becomes a question. So anyway, I think that this is an interesting, this is a movie about that as well. Mm -hmm. It's Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say necessarily that iRobot is, like, the the best at talking in a politically interesting way about cyborgs either. Yeah. But this is a character who was, was non-consensually rent apart and made into a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a thing that he resents. A thing that he resents and um, hates. Yeah. By a corporation because he was a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, like, coping with the hatred of an addition to his own body mm-hmm. um speaking of exactly that what's the next movie margo robocop <laughs> there it is i know i alluded to it and then it here it is you you alluded to it then you described it in detail yeah <laughs> i've yeah. never seen robocop yeah this is very exciting i'm i'm excited to um experience hopefully alongside margo as much as possible um a lot of paul verhoven yeah. That Margot has not yet watched, which is very thrilling. We loved Benedetta together. Oh yeah. That was that was a great time. Benedetta and sandwiches. <laughs> Benedetta and a and a sandwich. And um yeah, I have not watched Robocop in a really long time. So I am really excited to at this stage of my life where I have so many more opinions. Yeah. About about robots. And police states. And <laughs> police states. To get back into this. This, I mean, I'm really excited to watch. I mean, look, RoboCop is also kind of a blockbuster. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. RoboCop but RoboCop is a, a but deep first movie. and foremost, it's a Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. It's a, it is thinking about yeah. the things that Jordan and I yeah. are thinking nobody, about. Nobody blockbusts like Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely not. So this is in some, like in some ways a blockbuster, in some ways an art house film. And I'm mm-hmm. excited to talk about um, another, a movie that sort of intersects like is a, the intersection of a, a movie like Her mm-hmm. and a movie like iRobot, where mm-hmm. it's it's uh, a lot of people have seen it. Yeah. And a lot of people are writing essays about it. <laughs> yeah. And I want to live in that space. That is, that is, that's your space. We'll hold space for that. That's your space. Um. Yes. I, yes, it is. Jordan, uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And uh, check out, as as ever, the Feeling Scene podcast on Maximum Fun. Uh, wonderful filmmakers like Mariama Diallo. Wonderful comics like Guy Branham. Wonderful sci-fi writers like Charlie Jane yes, Anders. who we just shouted out in the last episode. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Charlie Jane Anders shows up on your other podcast. Yeah. Is I was starstruck. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Jane is wonderful. Um, so yeah, please listen to the Maximum Fun podcast. And how about, where can we find you, Margo? Um, you can find me at official underscore Margo, M-A-R-G-O-T, on Twitter and Venmo. So yeah, uh, that is where we will be in the meantime until uh, I expect you'll be tuning in for next episode to discuss RoboCop and your first experience with it. Yeah. It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Do you have people to test you or might switch you off? No, I don't. Then why do I?